0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to What's for Dinner. What's for dinner, what's for dinner, what's for dinner. I am uh, once again on the high seas, on the open air, water, waving, crashing, rocking boat. Actually, the weather's pretty nice, even though it's hurricane season. aboard uh, the Norwegian Escape right now in my cabin. And uh, this week, episode 192, I'm talking with a fellow comedian, uh, Mark Klein. Mark is incredibly funny um what we would call a veteran in the comedy world he's been doing this for 35 years, still going strong um, working with him on the ship for two weeks now and just real thrill. thrilled to be working with him And uh, today we're talking about um, talking about comedy Mark is a joke machine. he loves street jokes a uh, street joke is just like a, a just a regular joke. it's not a joke a comedian wrote about his life, it's just uh, two guys walk into a bar, that's what a street joke is, and Mark is an encyclopedia of them. So we talked a little about that, about um, the first joke he ever heard, we kind of exchanged a couple of jokes, and then uh, Mark also has his passion for comedy is equaled to his passion for racehorsing because he lives in Kentucky. So we talked a lot about uh, racehorses and um, his uh, his own involvement in it. And uh, Skippy Green stops by. And uh, Mark not only uh, plays Skippy Green's game, but also tells a very uh, fascinating story about, a uh, let's just say, the shortcomings of a horse. You'll have to listen to find out what I'm talking about. But hey, guys, if you want to come see me and listen to what I'm talking about, um, if you happen to be on the Norwegian Escape over the next two weeks, I will uh, be here performing on this ship. But if you are in the uh, Valencia, California area, I'll be at JR's Comedy Club. Excuse me. They'll be there September 30th and October 1st. And then on October 4th... October... Excuse me, let's try that again. On October 4th, I'll be at the parlor. God, what is is wrong with my voice? Excuse me. October 4th, I'll be at the parlor in Hollywood, California. On October 6th, I'll be in... Arroyo Grande at the Figueroa Mountain Brewing Company on October 8th. I will be in Redding, California doing a—actually, it's a private show. And then on October 11th, I'm so excited, I'll be returning to the Throckmorton Theater um, in Mill Valley, California, one of my favorite rooms to play. A lot more dates you can check out at the website flipisfunny.com. You guys, I am done rambling. Why don't you sit back, enjoy episode 192 of What's for Dinner— with my good buddy, very funny comedian, Mark Klein. What's for dinner? What's for dinner? What, what's for dinner? Talking talking about what's ever on their minds. Talking talking about what's ever on their minds. Talking talking about what's ever on their minds. Checking out my cabin.
1: This is great. This is just the uh the coolest setup. You brought lights and you've got Technology that I'm surprised the Cubans haven't broken your porthole end to steal off the wall. What the iPad? <laughs> yes. <just> <laughs> <laughs> if, the, if, the, if those fishermen knew what you have on your wall, they would burn you as a heretic.
0: <laughs> so you haven't seen half uh, the cabins around here, have you? No. no. There's a uh, there's uh, uh, somebody I know has uh, well this projector. This, I have a little projector here. I learned this from Brandon, who's got one too. Okay. And uh, Brandon's also got. Uh, he's had. I don't think he has it with him this time, but he's had PlayStations and Xboxes and things like that.
1: He, he was th- showing movies in his cabin one night. He yeah was to have like movie parties. And yeah, stuff, yeah. You
0: know? I've had him uh, at mine as well. This is great. That's all we do. Well, you don't bring. Uh, what What do you bring for your cabin? Nothing. None of the comforts of it's home.
1: Sparta next door. It's nothing. I've got a book, and my calendar, and my briefcase, and my iPad.
0: Well, you know that's that's all some people need. I'm a techno. I'm like a technophile, so I love.
1: I'm a technophobe. Oh really? The joy of cruising is to get away from all this for me. So. <laughs> well,
0: great. this I mean, right. you don't you don't even have a computer?
1: Uh, I've got my uh, my iPad. That's it. do yeah. need. Yeah.
0: I get. You know what? Mark teaches own man. I lo- I lo- see. I'm like I said. I'm a technophile, so I like having this. I like having my wires all kind of hidden and organized. I'm also introverted, and Christmas lights I add a little decor.
1: I think it's great. I'm I'm not I'm not being in any way mocking or critical. That that will come later, of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool. Okay. Right. Well, thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, so we've begun already. Yeah, oh correct? yeah, we've begun. Excellent. Yeah. Very yeah. good. It, we're. Well, we
0: it's it's a very sneaky kind of a podcast. It just goes, much like, uh, uh, I guess I was I was about to say diarrhea in in Montezuma just goes, but. That, no, is that weird that that's the first analogy I could think of for something that immediately starts? It makes
1: me extremely uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> In- <laughs> you know what I thought no honestly, you know what I think it was, I think because looking at you, I was the the what immediately flashed to my mind was the uh, the scrabble joke ah, that I right. tagged last night right. that had to do with poop. so I right. maybe that's why diarrhea was there.
1: Every now and then, you know this, you hear a joke that is clearly an old joke, mm-hmm. you just tell by the way it's built, right? and it's got to be 100 years old, and you've never heard it before, and you think, how is that possible? <laughs> how is it possible that I've been a comedian for 30 years? And not have heard this joke a hundred times, and it just it hits you like a slap in the face.
0: It's a great joke.
1: It's a great feeling to have that happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One that comes out of nowhere. Well,
0: you're one of the only guys that I see that, uh, you know, like you have your set and you have your material, and it's great. But then you, uh, you then you tell street jokes, and you don't try to pass them off as your own material. You're saying, here's jokes.
1: I I love street jokes. I'm an absolute sucker for a good street joke and one that's well told. Some of my comedy idols are pretty. I'm going to say unknown, but lesser-known comics, guys uh, who should be much more famous than they are, from guys like Jackie Martling, who Mm -hmm. you, of course, know knows every joke in the world. Right. Uh, There used to be a strip joint comic named Jay Hickman. I don't know. He used to work the dollhouse in Myrtle Beach, and he was a a comic Hmm. in a strip joint for 40 years. I don't know how many years. I'm going to say 40, but who knows? He knew every old, dirty joke in the world and knew how to tell them. And Jay Hickman would start telling a joke you've heard a thousand times, and tell it masterfully. You couldn't <laughs> wait to hear him tell it again. And I'm always a sucker for those kind of jokes. And if I do a joke in my show that is from, it's a it'd be, it's a street joke from a comic who tells it in that way, I'll, I'll credit the joke as a street joke and the comic and the from com- who uh, heard, the old street joke.
0: That's what makes you a professional. So my favorite
1: parrot joke is one that John Penny told me. And John's a long-time working comic out of Springfield, Missouri. And... Uh, he told me my all-time favorite parrot jokes. When I tell the parrot joke, I always say a comic, a very funny comic named John Penny told me the greatest parrot joke in the
0: world. Well, the parrot now parrot i
1: got to hear it. The parrot joke? Yeah. Oh, you, you have to have heard this joke.
0: Um, try me. Uh,
1: a woman walks by a pet store on the way to work every day, and there's a parrot in the window. And the parrot says, hey, lady. She says, what? He says, come here. She goes, what do you want? He goes, you are the ugliest woman I've ever seen in my life. And I'm 75 years old. She can't believe it. She storms off. She's mad as hell. Next day, she's walking to work. The same parrot's in the window. Parrot says, Hey, lady. She goes, What? Parrot says, Come here. She walks over. What do you want? Parrot says, You are without question the ugliest bitch I've ever seen in my life. And I stand here all day. She's not going to hear it a third time. She walks in the store. She chews out the manager and the owner, lays them out till hell won't, won't have it again. Next day, she's walking to work. The parrot's in the window. Parrot says, Hey, lady. She says, What? Parrot says, Come here. She walks over, puts her nose right. What do you want? Ferret says, "You know."
0: <laughs> it, right into the end, I like. I, 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 I'm like, I've never heard this one until right the end.
1: It never gets the laugh it truly deserves. Yeah, and yeah. It is a, a, as far as for my money, it's a brilliant, brilliant joke. Well,
0: you know what's great about that kind of those kind of jokes is, on paper, it's it's a cute joke, but the way the comic tells it makes it great i think you You can make
1: it your story you can you can stamp that joke any way you want to paint it you can put your own stamp on it yeah and if people like the way you tell it the joy of a joke like that is um and that's that's not the one that happens to me but i do tell a joke on my show that i I say is my father's favorite joke and i've had a comic that i respect tell, tell me you tell that joke better than anyone i know when you hear that from a comedian whose joke-telling ability you respect, you just go, "That's
0: that." Yeah, it's a high compliment. This is my new favorite
1: joke in the in yeah, history yeah. of jokedom.
0: So, <laughs> uh, which do you remember? Like the first street joke that you heard?
1: I'm yes, I do. Do you really? Yes. Oh wow. Um, what? the first, and of course it's a it's an, an old joke. My uh, grandfather, my grandpa Max, my dad's dad, told me this joke, and my brother as well. My brother's two years older than I am, and he was probably seven, I was probably five. I'll never forget this joke. I was five years old and I heard it. A man walks into a bar with a banana in his ear. The bartender says, hey, mister, do you know you have a banana in your ear? The man says, I can't hear you. I have a banana in my ear. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and my, my brother
1: and I, at five years old, howling like banshees at this joke, <laughs> screaming with laughter.
0: I've actually never heard that. This is just such a simple joke. It's just
1: a nothing. It's a yeah. stu- hundred years old. It's got to be. Uh, and and, and I, from that point, they just started. To, I guess uh, jokes just started to stick in my head from that point. And it it it's odd. I don't know if you notice this or not. When you hear jokes, some of them have like a hit song, a stickiness to them. Yes, absolutely. And they'll stay with you, and you'll never forget. And some go in and go out. And I, but some stick. And did I that one did it. I tell you
0: the one about the three old guys talking about uh how how old are they're getting so old. Okay. Did you heard this one? I'm not sure if I told you this one. So, three old guys are sitting around talking. First one says, I tell you, I'm getting so old. I, I can't remember faces anymore. The other day, my bro- my brother came up to me. I, I, I couldn't recognize his face. Second one says, You're getting old. Me, I don't remember names anymore. My granddaughter came up to me the other day. I, I, I couldn't remember her name. Third one says, Ah, y'all getting old. Me, I remember everything. I remember names, I remember faces come in for those who couldn't see which was all of you I was knocking on wood as i'm telling it i'm like this is not a good one for an audio podcast but that's like one of my favorite jokes it's so clean and and just it's a crisp joke and i actually heard that uh when martin landau won his oscar he told that on the oscars yeah like on the on the podium as he holding the oscar he goes three old guys are talking i like, I fucking love this I can't wait. You, you put your ear on the TV speaker. You can't wait
1: to hear it again. I don't know how many comics you know with AIDS. I'm going to say, just pick a number, 35 and younger, who don't know any jokes, who know zero street jokes. I meet them all the time. Guys that I work with. Uh, really? Yes, who, who have not heard, pick out 10 basic jokes that every comic in the world should know. They don't know them, have never heard. And I did a show in South Carolina uh, a couple of years ago, and I did about... Uh, it was at a, um, a, a, a VFW hall. And these guys want to hear jokes. So I my, in the last 15 minutes of my act, it was just old street jokes. Yeah. Some clean, some kind of blue, whatever. And I was working with a guy who tells me he's never heard any of these jokes. And I mean, you know, can you spell the van in vanilla jokes like that? <laughs> <I> <laughs> really? Mean, the, the most basic no street chocolate. jokes, right? Yeah. The most basic street jokes a comic should know. Hadn't heard any of
0: them. Wow. Amazing. Y- young kid?
1: Uh, young enough, 20s.
0: I th- you know what, and I, I, I can't believe I'm about to sound like one of these guys but kids today, uh, but it just seems like the the comics that are coming up today are all, like, we were weaned, I think, on actual stand-ups. Like, you know, going, like, either watching guys on, on uh, Sullivan or Jack Parr, The Tonight Very much Show, so. or Letterman.
1: And the same guys, because you're, you've got three, cha- three networks to choose right. from, everybody your age and older, including my age and beyond, watched the same people every week, and they all had pretty much, as you say, the same uh, basic format of performance. Right. It wasn't... And, and there wasn't a trace of my bitter, dysfunctional family in it. It was R- all...
0: Exactly. There was there was a, a levity to it. Yeah. You know, and, and even when, I, like, I was really... Uh, I was kind of coming up as a as a kid in the 80s when the boom was starting to happen in the comedy world and cable TV came on and the A&E and the HBO. So I was exposed to a little more comedy, but still the basic kind of showcase um, formats that comics had. Again, late night shows and uh, HBO specials, et cetera. Comics today, younger ones, they're kind of weaned on YouTube. They're kind of weaned on uh, either... Um, uh, uh, more of the, the, the short attention span kind of comedy, like Vine videos or Snapchat things or the, the YouTube comics, quote-unquote, that are not pure comics. They're either sketch or even just... I don't even know how to describe some of the acts that are getting booked into clubs based on YouTube nowadays. Um, I, I do not get the sense that, that most comics today,
1: that the comic style today has the slightest concern whether or not it relates to you or your life. When I write a comedy routine, and I know you when you do, I've seen your comedy on stage, when you do comedy like that, you're talking about something, whether it's your parents, your brother, your sister, your dog, whatever it is, There, it relates to the people in the audience and their life experience in some way, which is what gives us its comic thrust. Right. I do not get that impression at all from any of the, of the newer comics that I watch. It, it, it's much... As narcissistic as we are, and there's no shortage of, of oh. navel-gazing and mirror-staring in our lives. Oh,
0: absolutely. These
1: guys, The entire focus on these men and women is here's me, what I think, what happened to me, both in, in my inner life and what I did today externally, none of which may or be, may concern you, and I could give a rat's ass. It, I just get that impression. It's, it's very off-putting to me. But that's a generational thing. It's it's you know people their generation just again scream like, like maniac. They just love it.
0: Yeah, no, I un- I understand what you mean, and and see, and and I'm kind of with you on part of it, um, in that I uh, that the relatability factor seems to be uh, definitely lessening as comedy evolves. But I also respect the evolution of comedy. You know, I think that uh, as new, you know, new. Um, issues come up in our world either politically or societally that comics should evolve to it but i totally agree with that i think there a lot of comics are getting away from the core essence of what stand-up is which is funny you know like you could if you want to talk to me about something that i might like i don't know um reddit you know what reddit is i've heard of it yeah i've heard same thing i've heard of it i've never actually been on the site Right. But if somebody has a joke about Reddit, I might not relate to what it is, but if it's a joke well-told, structured, shaped in a way that it's it still has a, 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 I don't know, it still is presented in a humorous way, I could respect that.
1: I've got a, a rule, a show business rule of mine. If I can't do it, I will clap for it, whether I like it or not. Okay. If I'm watching something, and it's professionally done, we're talking about pros. if I'm watching someone do something that I cannot do uh, or even are unwilling to do, but it's done well and I can see the polish and the time and the discipline and the effort, yeah, I'll, I'll clap for it. Whether I laugh at it or not, it's a whole different issue. But I, I, I do try to give it the attention it deserves because of what the person who's presenting it put into it on the front end.
0: I do agree with that, so too. So I've got to kind of go with that. So you, you applaud Jeff Dunham? I do. I do too. <laughs> As we both sit here and laugh after saying that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that being said, Je- son of Jeff stuff is is genuinely, screamingly funny. Oh yeah, absolutely. And he's, uh, he is deservedly successful. So you're damn right, I applaud.
0: Yes, absolutely. Same here. And that's,
1: that's the same thing for guys that juggle chainsaws or train dogs. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm on my feet clapping for him.
0: Now, uh, speaking of um, animals, uh, you talk about this in your act. Um, you are you have a passion for racehorses.
1: Well, yes, I do. It, it's paid for, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it did not fall out of the sky. Every everything I know about horse racing was dearly paid for.
0: I, no, I wanted to ask us. You uh, off stage, you are passionate about joke telling, and I think as passionate about racehorsing. Racehorsing? Race horsing. Yes, race-horsing?
1: thank you. A new construction there.
0: Thank you very much. Race horsing. Um, what came first?
1: Um, p- comedy and, and being a comedian. But I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, and thoroughbred racing is our major league sport. Churchill Downs Racetrack is, is to Louisville what Yankee Stadium is to New York.
0: Okay. The same
1: degree of passion and importance to the people who live there. It's our major league sport. It's a horse culture. Um, and so everybody I know at home goes to Churchill Downs Racetrack and bets on horses. Uh, most people I know at home either own a piece of a racehorse or have in the past or want to in the future. So it, it, it's very much a cultural thing. And I, I tell my comedy buddies, you know, I pretend to own them, they pretend to run, that kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, I used to be in a 16-man gambling syndicate um, to, to try to catch the pick-six at Churchill Downs when it rolled over. Just before they had computer wagering and simulcast, you had to be at the track to bet it. I was doing that when I was in my early 20s. And I've owned uh, a small piece of a racehorse running somewhere in America uh, ever since, and it for the last 30 years.
0: So you actually own a piece of a horse now?
1: We just sold a horse uh, named China Holiday. We just sold him for a pittance at Tampa Bay. Then he proceeds to win his next three races in Mountaineer Park. Thank you very much. And we're shopping for one now because I just can't get enough. It's just, it hurts so good. I can't wait to get my next one. And it, it, Flip, when you own one, it, 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 when they're good they're or when they're banned, it doesn't matter. When you don't have one, you can't wait to get your next one. It, it's drug-like in that regard.
0: I was going to ask. It seems like a very addictive thing.
1: If you ever get to Louisville and, you, and I'll take you to Churchill Downs in the morning for a six o'clock workout, uh, take you to the races that afternoon, you just get to be – you can. It, it's, the, it's a major league sport that not only can you have ownership in as a very small-time player, which I am, believe me. Uh, we we specialize in in five thousand dollar non-winners of two lifetime at age six and the worst horses in Christendom, as they say. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I'm a very small time guy in this, and my syndicate. That you're owns the, you're very, the Shetland racing. Oh, we yeah we, we just own we own horses that are too polite to pass the other horses. <laughs> I mean, that's hard. that's but, funny. <laughs> uh, uh It it this is the major league sport where guys at, at that level can participate at Churchill. It'd be like you playing at Yankee Stadium. You can participate in major league racing at Churchill Downs Racetrack, even having a very small amount of capital but a lot of passion for it. It's also the only major league sport that you own what's out there. You're not just cheering for what's out there. And, you know, you go to the paddock and watch them prepare for a race. You can touch it and you can smell it. When you own a bit of a horse with a trainer that gives you access to your stable, you can go there at 7 o'clock in the morning. I want to go see, you know, Tender Memories or Just Plain Good or or whoever your horse's name is, and he'll tell his groom, bring him out. Out he comes. You could pet him, give him a carrot, and that's your professional athlete standing there. It's an extraordinary feeling. It's a great, great feeling.
0: Now, just a uh, side note uh, – do where where did is there like a formula for picking a name like naming a horse or is it just there is
1: there's traditions there's no there are traditions and rules uh, it's much like Jewish observance there are <laughs> there are old hard fast written down laws and rules and there is custom and observance which are two different areas traditionally in thoroughbred racing you name a horse you try to honor the horse's progenitors by trying to combine the name of its mother and the name of its father. It's called the sire line for the father and the dam line for the mother. You try to combine those two names or, or that heritage from both sides in the horse's name, or you can name it after your favorite crazy uncle. Uh, when you get a yearling, that's when the horse is named. Um, you submit a list of names to the uh, uh, thoroughbred racing associations, and they're vetted. For you can't use a famous horse's name that's already been used, like you can't name a horse secretariat, that name is not eligible anymore. They will recycle a horse's name, I think it's five years after a horse quits running um, if, it, if it didn't win any important races or doesn't have any kind of real racing history. So you submit about 10 names and hope that one of them gets approved. I've been turned down on names before for various reasons. They're vetted for decency. You can't use curse words hidden in the name be- or in English, and they try to do that for foreign languages as
0: well. Wait, what, what are some of the names you submitted that were uh, Oh, We uh,
1: we had one, uh, gosh, what was this horse's name? They rejected my name, and it wasn't all that bad. It was, oh, it was, it, the, the horse came out of a, a siren named Pleasant Tap, and uh, its mother's side had uh, honest pleasure and foolish pleasure in its background. I tried to name it indecent pleasure. And they wouldn't <laughs> take it. Really? Yeah. Um, so you try to, I'll give you an example uh, Kentucky Derby winner Ali Sheba from his father, Ali Dar, his mother, Belsheba. You get Ali Sheba. Uh, American Pharaoh, his father, pioneer of the Nile. His mother was Little Princess Emma out of a stallion named Yankee Gentleman, Yankee American, Nile Pharaoh, you get American Pharaoh. I saw a horse at Churchill Downs one time. His name was Flemish Bond. Now, look back at his sire, and he was sired by a horse named Rare Brick. As it turns out, Flemish Bond is a type of masonry. It's a type of bricklaying pattern. Anyone in the construction business knows what Flemish Bond is. It's a type of way of laying brick. All right. So that was very clever. They took rare brick, the sire's name, and named the the son Flemish Bond. Now, type, if
0: they had any leather straps to the brick, could that be Flemish Bondage?
1: I think you have to actually go uh, to uh, Belgium and pay for that. Do you? Yes, there's a place that speaks Walloon. And they will get you that uh, horse in
0: bondage for you. <laughs> you got such a cadence the way you talk. You could stream out a line of bullshit, and I would believe it's true. Oh, yeah, well.
1: when I met the woman I married. I told her she didn't like me at all. I said, I got more bullshit than this in the car. Whatever you need to hear, <laughs> I got. We'll get to it. Just keep me talking. We'll, whatever you need to hear to get you going, I got it. Somewhere. I could
0: I definitely see how she fell for that.
1: It took me a year. <laughs> it took me a year to get her to marry me.
0: <laughs> Did you really meet her at a club?
1: Yeah, we met at the, uh, the old Comedy House Theater in Savannah. Oh, my God. In,
0: I think I played that one, yeah. You may well have. Uh, yeah.
1: Uh, uh, Brian Mercer, I think. is Not Brian Mercer. Uh, Audre, Aubrey Pippin. Aubrey Pippin, yeah. He had three clubs at one time. Yeah. In Columbia, South Carolina, uh, Savannah, did that one? and Augusta, so, Georgia. But, yep. It was a little tour. Yeah. And oh, my And my God. wife at the time did his mother's nails in a nail salon. Really? She brings in to see the show. My wife brings the salon out to see the show. Never been to a comedy club before. And so you were her first. Well, at least she married the headliner. <laughs> 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 Didn't fall for the opener of her features, though. You know she got some taste there. Oh,
0: uh, I remember. I was working. At, uh, I was uh, one of the worst months of my life because my uh, girlfriend at the time. I knew we were breaking up, and I was on the road, and there was nothing I could do about it. And I was working. I think it was. I think it was the one in uh, Savannah with Mickey Dean.
1: Yes, of course, Mickey from Birmingham. D- yeah, sure. was
0: headlining. And the feature—I can't remember his name. I just remember he once played guitar for Paul Revere and the Raiders. And at one point in his act, he put on the old hat from the The group, Minuteman the hat. The Minute Man hat. I love and I'm just—and I was—and I was, ho- and I was uh, hosting. I was. This was back when hosts could actually make a de- you know a living, or money. Let's just say, um, going club to club. And I'm back there just going, "How the fuck am I opening for Paul Revere and the Raider guy?" It's the greatest. What a business. Yeah, what it really is.
1: Yeah, Mickey Dean, uh, he had a heart attack a number of years ago. Did he really? And I, I'm not aware that he still performs. He had some real serious health issues and some oh, depression man. that followed it. And uh, Bruce Ayers, who owns Stardome, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, was managing Mickey, and I assume remained good friends with him. And Mickey and I were, were friendly for a while. We knew each other pretty well, and uh, just lost touch with him. I hope he's still out there.
0: Oh, me too. Like Actually, the last time I saw Mickey Dean was at the Stardome. The only time I ever worked the club, um, I was um, – I was brought in uh, by Chuck Johnson mm. uh, to feature. He put me, uh, recommended me to feature, and I'm doing the week. And I forgot who was closing the off nights, um, but I was having really strong sets. And the weekend came, and uh, Bruce said, I've been hearing good things about you. Um, would you mind? Uh, oh, no, it was Mickey. I'm sorry. Mickey was headlining. And he said, uh, You've been having really strong sets um mickey has got to leave early for one of the shows to do a corporate gig would you mind if he middled and you closed and i was like yeah that'd be great right and um i get to the club and do you remember chicken i do michael not. roof i do not um michael was a birmingham native uh incredibly funny he like zoomed to the top he Got a went to Montreal, got a development deal, like a half a million dollar development deal, was the last one to really get one of those. He happened to be in town and he was he wanted to do a guest spot on the show. So the host goes up and I knew Chicken too. The host goes up, does his ten minutes, brings up Mickey, who in the feature spot did his full forty five minute headlining spot. Of course he did. Of course he did.
1: It's a complete home game for him. It's his crowd.
0: Then the uh, MC goes back to episode five, brings up Chicken, who's a local favorite. (laughs) Homeboy, you know, a hometown boy does great. (laughs) Destroys. Any energy that was left is gone. (laughs) Then my turn as a solid feature, but very inexperienced headliner at the time, and just ate a huge (sighs) bag of dick. And that was the show that Bruce came to see. Of course. So that was the last time I ever played that room. But re- I just remember Mickckey being uh, he reminded me of James Gregory, but very, very much so, yeah. Southern, very sweet, it's very just salt driven. of the Earth. Yeah, it's
1: not an original story in there, it doesn't matter. No. it's all, all storytelling and people just love it.
0: Yeah, absolutely uh,
1: uh, Johnny Carson used to tell a story. Someone asked him who the most arrogant I forget what was it arrogant or confident what was it, performer he ever met. He says, "No question, Al oh, biggest ego, the biggest ego he ever met. Johnny Carson now, the biggest ego in show business. He said, no question it was Al Jolson." Really, and he tell and Al um, Jolson, George Burns, and Carson share this story. I think Burns actually told the story on the Carson show. He said Al Jolson. He tells a story about him. They put him on a. If you know anything about Al Jolson's career, it's a fascinating life story. Miserable human being. But fascinating life story. He had two separate careers. He became very popular uh, in the in the twenties and thirties, and then his career went into decline. Then he became popular again when the people who went to World War Two. Remember him from their childhood, they started putting him on USO shows, and he had a, a huge resurgence in his career uh, fairly late in life. So they put him on a, a benefit show, and I'm trying to remember. I hope I remember this correctly. Forgive me, whoever's up there listening, if I, if I don't.
0: <laughs> well, many Here's, people in the afterlife listen yeah, to this so, podcast. So if,
1: if they do, this is the one, I'm <laughs> sure. Here's who's on the show, the Rich Brothers, a okay. very popular okay. vaudeville comedy team, the Marx Brothers, Enrico Caruso is on the show. It's a it's a fundraiser, war bond, you know, widows and orphans show. And Al Jolson. And Jolson, of course, insists on closing the show. <laughs> insists. So they say, fine, you want to close it? Fuck you, close it. They, the rich Brothers go on, kill the place. The Marx Brothers go on, kill the Decimate. place. Decimate. Caruso comes on, absolutely destroys the place. And Al Jolson goes on stage and says, you ain't heard nothing yet. And then sings Mammy. And the place goes crazy. I mean, just
0: wow. Just, just so he followed them absolutely, absolutely. Wow.
1: And and I would expect an ego like that didn't have the slightest doubt in the world yeah. that he would just pff, these pretenders <laughs> think they're going to share my stage. we'll, we'll see what? about that.
0: I respect that. Oh. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna talk that talk, you you'd be able to walk that walk.
1: There's guys that can. We well, won't guys they can. You know, they, they burn the house down at will. Yeah,
0: yeah. And we all know guys who do who's, that. Who's, who would you say the strongest guy you ever worked with, aside oh, from me? Oh, man.
1: The strongest guy I ever worked with, I've been doing this 35 years. Yeah, and, I know. And I'm going to have to say, in terms of being able to do that and, and, and have enough in his back pocket in case it's not going well, just to, just to force it down their throats, be Lenny Clark comic out of boston oh i know lenny clark and lenny does acting work in la now yeah, yeah, but of course. as a stand-up he was an absolute bulletproof oh yeah uh, yeah very yeah. funny guy wow yeah that that is i like that supremely
0: funny guy lenny oh lenny's always been funny yeah did you ever did you see that documentary about boston comedy yeah, when stand-up yeah. stood out yeah yeah he was like the kind of centerpiece of that yep
1: yep he he, he, he um kind of was like the man who would be king you yeah, know, he, yeah yeah he, he had his kingdom and thought it would be making him the richest comic and best in the world and for reasons who knows uh he became just who he became which is which is enough for anybody it gets, oh, it yeah, gets yeah. good acting work and still does documentary and stand-up work i'm sure
0: absolutely yeah oh well, that's good um actually by the way speaking of uh, comics who uh thought they would be great and turned into nothing this is a little part of the show called the skippy green show <laughs>
1: I, was, I, I found myself in, in, in meditative prayer last night that that's what this would occur during this interview. So.
0: It's the Skippy Green Show! Hey. Marky muck mark and the <laughs> Kleiny Bunch. Holy shit. Thanks for dressing up, by the way. You're welcome. I it's appreciate from, it. From
1: the Hawaiian, the Don Ho collection.
0: Don Ho. I knew, uh, I knew a chick named Dawn. She was a Dawn Ho. But either way, I got laid. Hawaii! Here's what we're going to do.
1: Because <laughs> he's not on it.
0: <laughs> Took the words right out of my mouth. I'm going to ask you a question. And you got to answer the question in ten words exactly.
1: Ten words exactly?
0: Exactly, Not eleven, not nine. Ten words exactly. Are you ready? Uh, I'm, I'm as ready as one can be for this. If you. Could fuck <laughs> on top of any thoroughbred racing horse, which horse would it be and why? Remember, you got ten words, so don't bullshit with it would be blah, blah, blah. No, I got it. Ready? All right. Ten words exactly. Go for it.
1: Northern dancer, one of the smallest horses ever to win the Derby.
0: That's why? That's Pretty why. small.
1: That's why. I got a great follow-up story to that. If you want to hear it,
0: it's a great one. Is it part of the ten words?
1: No, I only had ten words. The ten words were done, but it relates to it. It relates to the reason why.
0: You know, I've never done this before, Mark. Much like fucking up uh, three <laughs> black chicks at once, <laughs> I fucked four and five. Never Much three. like. I'm gonna give. I'm, I'm gonna allow you to continue on with this.
1: Northern Dancer uh, was a Canadian colt, uh, and and stamped C- Canadian thoroughbred racing with his with his legacy. But anyway, he wins the Kentucky Derby uh, in, in uh, 1964 and um, finishes out his three-year-old season. and four-year-old season, they take him to the breeding shed to become a stallion. was well, a very small horse. The first mare they bring him to they bring the teaser stallion in to get her excited, and she gets all ramped up and ready to go. Now they bring Northern Dancer in.
0: Wait, wait, the, the horses have fluffers? Yes, they do. Do they really? Yes, they do. Holy shit, i got to get into that kind of line of work.
1: Yes, they do. Well, you know, it's, you don't want to intimidate the, the real moneymakers at the farm. They probably wouldn't let you in the door, Skippy, but that's okay. Um, Please,
0: you don't know, you don't know <laughs> the kind of pull I have. So
1: they bring the dancer in to service his first mare, and he can't get up to her. He's got a full heart on everything, but he can't reach her. And she, she's ready to go, and she's, and she gets frustrated, so she kicks him away. She almost breaks one of his ribs. And they're not going to risk this again, but they, they can't wait any kind of time. You want these foals dropping in January, February, March, not May and June. So they make a date a week later, and they dig her about a two-foot trench to stand in. And they lead him right up, and he, he, he pounds that thing, uh, just, just knees it like a biscuit. I mean, just takes it home. And so for all the mayors that he serviced, they had to stand in a, a two-foot-deep trench. He's my all-time favorite Kentucky Derby winner.
0: You know, that reminds me of a story. <laughs> me and Gary Coleman, we split the cost of a hooker. So she's knelt down between the two of us. She's jerking me off with the right hand, doing a great job. Not very ambidextrous, so she's kind of off rhythm with a left. So I turned to Gary Coleman. I go, hey, Gary, isn't this funny? We're getting different strokes. <laughs>
1: I have to assume at due to difference in size, you paid more for the hooker than he did.
0: Well, I you know, he he was half off. <laughs> I was full price.
1: He went off half cocked. Thank it, you. They, oh,
0: look at it. Mark Klein, everybody. Oh. Mark Klein, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Skippy Green Show. Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> Mark, dude, thank you so much for uh, sitting down and talking with me, man.
1: Uh, an honor to be asked and a pleasure to do.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, where can people find you online?
1: Uh, my website is corpchester.com, C-O-R-P-J-E-S-T-E-R.com. Uh, you can find me on Facebook easily enough, and my website has my phone number. Give me a call. Who cares? Nobody.
0: Absolutely. Call them and uh, discuss horses and uh, how to f- fuck short ones. Well, <laughs> how, to
1: wa- how to watch <laughs> short ones get their end of the action, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> Uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and I uh, will see you next week or two weeks. What's Bye! for dinner? What's for dinner? What, what's for dinner? Talking talkin about what's ever on their minds. Talking talkin about what's ever on their minds. Talking talkin about what's ever on their minds. Talkin', talkin